From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, it's Politically Georgia. I'm Greg Bluestein. Political news did not take a break during the holiday week. Today, we'll start by looking at the stories that made headlines while you were preparing for the new year. I'm Patricia Murphy. Republicans got the present they wanted when federal judge Steve Jones approved their legislative and congressional maps. How will Democrats respond and how will races in the newly drawn districts unfold? I'm Bill Nygut. Plus, we're less than a week from the start of the 2024 session of the legislature. We'll look at some of the issues likely to drive the session. We'll be joined by State Representative Cyrus Draper and Republican Operative Stephen Lawson to unpack it all. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Greg. Patricia, how'd you spend the final days before 2024? I hope getting some rest and relaxation before the busy year. Do you know what? I have a corner in my bedroom called the Corner of Doom, where all of my unmatched socks of the last probably three years since I got this job have lived, and it's been growing and growing. And so for the last day and a half, I have gone through the corner of doom and it has been eliminated <laughs> so, the big house in the, and it's the big news in the house. So how many of those socks did you end up throwing away or how many did you actually like match up? It's a good question. There was a full garbage bag. There were, mm. there were dozens of matched socks. Eventually one was even like a little toddler pair of socks, <laughs> <laughs> but the, t- the corner of doom has been dispensed with. So I can start 2024 with a clean slate. Bill. Okay, okay. Patricia, I am embarrassed to admit that I too cleaned out my sock drawer. <laughs> it was overflowing. I could hardly open the drawer to go through it and find socks. So we had something in common over the holiday week. <laughs> well, did you get to go anywhere? No, we stayed here in Atlanta and just had a very relaxing uh, week. It was I, I missed doing the show, I have to say. I did too. Because there were so many, as we'll discuss, so much was happening. I'd wake happened. up in the morning and say, oh my gosh. There's a big headline. We need to be on the air. But it was great to have some time off. Well, and, yeah. And you guys you guys kept it going the week before Christmas yes. when I actually yeah. was off. And I we went down to Florida for just a couple of days and we were on an airboat through the Everglades and I kept getting like news alerts about stuff that y'all are <laughs> reporting on. And I was like, don't look, don't look. Oh my gosh. No, don't look. <laughs> I was on an eight day cruise to the Western Caribbean and I didn't have much cell phone access at all. But the one day I did, of all things, was in Honduras, where I got a text saying, hey, Scoop, you know, the the ruling, the federal judge's ruling just came down that we're about to talk about. And so for about two or three hours, I actually had cell phone access and I was texting with you guys and texting with some colleagues at the AJC and texting with lawmakers. And then got back on the boat and lost it again. An international correspondent. (laughs) I should have gotten Honduras Dateline. But that's, that's what we want to jump into first. For our first segment, we're going to talk about some of the biggest stories that broke in the final days of 2023 and how they relate to the upcoming year. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Well, federal judge Steve Jones, he promised he'd move quickly to rule on a challenge to Georgia's new political maps. And he did just that. Just three days after Christmas, Judge Jones ruled that legislators had, in his words, fully complied with his order to create more districts with black majorities. 
His ruling means that Republicans will maintain a likely nine to five edge in the U.S. House and will continue to hold solid majorities in the state House and state Senate. Republicans might lose a seat or two in the state House. Uh, it looks like they'll probably hold Pat in the state Senate. But either way, they keep those commanding leads. In a few minutes, we'll talk to Democratic State Representative Syra Draper, an expert on election law who was drawn into a district will show off the run against another Democratic incumbent. But first, Patricia, let's talk about what this ruling means for voters and candidates, because we're already seeing moves underway as recently as just a few minutes ago. That's exactly right. We have been talking to Democrats and Republicans about these maps saying, what will you do if this stands? What will you do? And nobody wanted to talk about it. They, Democrats in particular really believed that this was not going to be upheld by Judge Jones for any number of reasons. But when his decision came down and used the words fully complied, left no wiggle room at all. So since then, we have started to hear from Democrats, especially who, who had been drawn into the same districts as their fellow Democrats, particularly in the state legislature. State Representative Doug Stoner has announced this morning that he will not seek re-election. He had been drawn into the same district as State Representative Terry Anulowitz, of course, a close friend and fellow Cobb Democrat. So they won't have that one-on-one race against each other. And we're hearing from some others um, that there may be some other moves to make. I just got word from State Representative Greg Kennard, another Democrat who was drawn in to a district with Sam Park, who is a uh, a leader in the Democratic caucus in the Georgia House that he also is not planning on running against Sam Park. So that takes two of those brutal Democratic on Democratic in, uh, primary battles off the table. We have not heard whether or not uh, Becky Evans will run against Syra Draper. We do have Syra Draper as a guest in our next segment, Bill. And of course, we've got the congressional moves as well. Um, the judge did find that the Republican map, which puts a new majority black district in the west, uh, to the west of Atlanta, which will be uh, now the sixth district. Um, <laughs> Lucy McBath, who started as a member of the House from the sixth district, was redistricted, uh, moved to the seventh, which was a Democratic opportunity district. Um, now is going to go back, she announced, and run again. In the sixth, meanwhile, Rich McCormick, who had, was the sixth district congressman after redistricting made it a more Republican district, is now going to move to the seventh, which is now more likely to vote for a Republican. The rest of the House appears to be pretty stable and will stay where they uh, were. I don't know if any of that really made as much sense as it would if we it's, had a, we a, a whiteboard that we could show our listeners. We need a, a really comprehensive flow chart. You're right, Bill. They're, they're, you know, the other lawmakers are staying in their districts, but their districts have changed. So David Scott, the 13th district, which now encompasses parts of Western and Southern Atlanta, is moving to the east side. So he's going to be representing an entirely new district, even though his number doesn't change. And the 4th and 5th districts, now now occupied by Hank Johnson and Nakima Williams, their districts are also changing, but they're staying with the same number. So there's a lot of shakeup in Metro Atlanta. But Patricia, I want to get to something you wrote about not long before the break, because Lucy McBath is now planning to run, as long as these maps are still stand, and we do think they will, um, she's now planning to run for the third different district in three consecutive elections. But if she can win in 2024, she can say she's represented almost a fifth of Georgia's residents over the last five years. Yeah, that's right. And in many ways, that could be a big help to Lucy McBath. She didn't want that help. She didn't ask for that help. 
But if she did run statewide, the situation now is that even though she'll be running in the 6th District and she had previously represented the 6th District, the actual territory she picks up in West Metro Atlanta, she's picking up a big swath of territory where people have not had her as a representative before. So she will have, first of all, run TV ads and a lot of them in Metro Atlanta consecutively, but will have represented Northeast Atlanta suburbs, Northwest Atlanta suburbs, and now West Atlanta suburbs, including uh, pretty significant portions of quickly growing in town Atlanta. So she'll have um, a number of Georgians will have been able to say Lucy McBath was my congresswoman. And Bill, that's millions of Georgians yeah. in the most important stronghold for Democrats in this in the, in the state at a time where she might run for. I mean, she might be looking at a 2026 run for statewide office. Yeah, and I think that Lucy McBath has, ever since she first was elected to Congress, became a star fairly quickly, um, uh, largely at first because of her fight for uh, gun safety laws. She, of course, tragically lost her son to a gun a shooting incident in Florida. But I'm inter- one of the other things that I'm interested in is, judge. I think Democrats will ask Syra Draper about this, I guess, this seventh district, um, a, a minority opportunity district, meaning obviously not a black majority, but a majority minority district, Asian, Hispanic, and blacks. And, and I think, and you all correct me if I'm wrong, that Democrats believe that perhaps Judge Jones would look at that and say, well, that isn't complying. You're taking away voting power in that minority opportunity district. He didn't say that. He said, look, Basically, in, in uh, my more casual language, he said, no, no, I was only talking about black representation. I'm not talking about min- minority representation in lar- at large. In, and I think that's going to be a really fascinating issue to follow in the months ahead. Yeah, to be clear, when we're talking about Lucy McBath, the silver lining, that does not mean Democrats are at all okay with yeah. the judge's <laughs> ruling. It's the silver linings we're talking about. But but for Democrats, they're very upset with this ruling. It wasn't exactly a huge surprise to those who watched the hearing a few a few days ago um, because the judge made it very clear. Hey, you know, it took me 20, the Judge Jones says it took him 22 months to deliver the October ruling of last year that threw out the maps. He said, we don't have time to do the the thorough sort of analysis that the plaintiffs wanted him to do with the January of this year deadline looming to get the ballot straightened up. But he said, Bill, to your point, he effectively said, hey, um, I'm not going to be taking up that debate about uh, majority minority districts, uh, districts where no ethnic group is, is dominant. Instead, he'll be looking only at majority black districts. And, you know, in his words, uh, the Republicans fully complied with his order to create seven new majority black legislative districts and one new majority black U.S. House district. Yeah, I do think, though, that question about coalition districts and the legality of changing those around and um, diluting the coalition there, um, that will continue to be an important legal issue, especially in a state like Georgia, where the minority population is not just black. Increasingly, it's um, a large portion Hispanic, a large portion Asian, and then a large portion uh, multiracial. As the as the state continues to diversify, the legality of changing those districts will be really, really important. And Judge Jones says that may be uh, a question, but I'm not taking it up here. You need to take that up in a different form. So he just put it to the side and decided not to rule on that. Um, however, Republicans will tell you um, they're making every effort and they're making some gains that just because you're a Latino 
voter doesn't mean you are a Democratic voter. Um, it doesn't mean that if you have a Republican lawmaker now representing you that your choices have been taken away. There are some very um, uh, uh, deliberately Republican voters who are Latino, who are Asian. And so that question of what kind of legal protection does a coalition district have especially something like the 7th District is a perfect example, um, that's an open and important question going forward. Well, I mean, Judge Jones, to your point, Patricia, did very specifically use the letter of the law of the Voting Rights Act, which was passed to protect the rights of black voters uh, in uh, states across the country, certainly, especially in the South. So he took it literally. Uh, there, to, to the best of my knowledge, we're going to watch to see whether um, these opportunity districts get some kind of court challenges in the months ahead. But I'm not quite sure. And Sarah, Sarah Draper probably mm-hmm. can tell us what are you challenging? What what law protects these op- so-called opportunity minority districts? Yeah, this would probably not be the end of the legal battle, but in the short term, state elections official Gabe Sterling says we're full, full steam ahead for 2024. The state can now use these maps to create voter files and prepare ballots for, uh, you know, we're talking about November, but really for the first rounds of votes and qualifying that is just a few weeks away. Oh, that's just a few weeks away. Those primaries will be in May for these districts. And something that a number of representatives and senators are dealing with is that the numbers of their districts <coughs> have changed. Yeah. Uh, so their own Voters may not know what district they are in when they're voting in their district. Their their precincts won't change, but the number of the district when they see a sign for state representative for HD 72, you know, that's not that doesn't mean what it used to mean. And so they're worried that's going to create some confusion. And even if they've been drawn into their old district, their districts have changed a lot. We heard from representatives who said the in my neighborhood, the people across the street no longer live in my district. Yeah. This is creating a ton of confusion, and they're going to have to get out and educate a whole new group of voters to say, now now I represent you, and I would like to continue. Oh, good. More direct mail in your mail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good news, America. No more voter confusion. Well, we promised there was a lot of news the, the, the last days before the new year. Bill, something else we got word of right before the new year was that the acting chairman of the state election board has been shown the door we got word that the Georgia Senate, which has the power to appoint one of the board's five members, uh, said that um, Matt Mashburn, given the boot, Mashburn had recently voted against investigating Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's handling of the 2020 election. He was seen as too friendly to Raffensperger, though, by far-right Republicans long before that December vote. Well, and as I learned from you two reading this morning's AM Politically Georgia newsletter, my jolt (laughs) morning news. I thought that Matt Mashburn was uh, ousted because of his vote against the investigation of Raffensperger's conduct in the election just a week plus ago. You both reported that, no, in fact, he's been undergun for quite some time because he's routinely refused to investigate the 2020 election. So he wasn't going to win a whole lot of favor with pro-Trumper Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones and others in the state Senate, that's for sure. Yes, it is, however, another (laughs) just another changing piece of the machinery of the voting process here in Georgia and those who oversee the voting process here in Georgia going into 2024. And so I think it raised some suspicions among Democrats like, Oh, you're, this is, this is funny business. Um, We don't have any indication that that's the case because we've been getting this telegraph to us for some time uh, that he was likely not going to be kept on um, for a whole lot longer. Yeah. And again, another reminder, Bill, 
that in the hearts of some far right Republicans, the 2020 vote is almost paramount, right? I mean, there's so, so, so much focus on what happened in 2020 when you've got other Republicans, including Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, saying focus on this coming year's election. We said next year for so long. It's now this year's election Um, rather than 2020. Including, Including Governor Kemp, who for months has been urging Republicans, not just here in Georgia, but when he goes out, um, and makes appearances uh, elsewhere, uh, talking to national Republican groups, saying the same thing to them. Focus on 2024. Stop talking about 2020. Now, another story that made the rounds over the holiday was the spate of so-called swatting incidents involving elected Georgia officials. We don't often like to talk too much about these. We don't want to encourage or focus a lot on, on these types of issues. But because it happened to so many and so, so many high-ranking Georgia Republicans and Democrats, looks like there could be some legislative action this year. Uh, here's a few of the names who got swatted. Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, and at least four state senators were victims of people who made 911 calls alleging fake emergencies happening at their homes. Patricia, legislative leaders have pledged to respond by passing laws to try to deter these crimes. We don't know what those laws could look like, but we can expect potentially some more severe penalties on anyone caught making these hoax calls. Yeah, it really does feel like a number of these laws need to be updated as elected officials and even people who just find themselves in the news, even if they're private citizens, but find themselves in the news for one reason or another, are getting um, these really elevated, escalated um, attacks on themselves when people's home addresses are relatively easy to track down. Um, and it's uh, it, it creates an incredibly dangerous situation because uh, police respond to these homes in many cases, having been told um, there's been a crime in Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, situation in the past, they were told there, there have been shots fired inside Marjorie Taylor Greene's home. So police come completely um, ready for a dangerous, dangerous situation, adrenaline pumping, um, guns ready to go. And so it creates an unbelievably dangerous moment. It's not just a nuisance. It's really incredibly serious. I, I think I'm right that right now um, swatting is a misdemeanor in Georgia. And one of the things they're going to try to do is make it a felony offense. Um, I think I've got that right. Um, and I also think, by the way, Senator Raphael Warnock Senator Raphael Warnock yep. swatted as well. But just to extend it beyond Georgia briefly, um, Sheena Bellows, who is the Secretary of State of the state of Maine, was swatted after she unilaterally disqualified Donald Trump from the main ballot, which was another story that took place over the holiday week, not just the main incident, but Michigan decided to keep Trump on the ballot there. And But these cases continue to unfold in a number of states. And of course, we talked about Colorado Republican uh, decision by the, the Colorado Supreme Court to keep uh, Donald Trump off the Republican primary ballot in Colorado and how that relates here in Georgia, because there is a similar effort to keep Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones to disqualify him from serving in office because of his role as a Republican elector for Donald Trump. Yeah, and we certainly think that the question, uh, at least for President Trump's eligibility, will end up in the Supreme Court more than likely. And so you have this really unfortunate but probably necessary situation where the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in on on an ongoing um, presidential race. We've been here before um, in one way or another, but this feels like really uncharted territory in the exact way that it's unfolding. Well, what a whirlwind way to end 2023 and just a glimpse of what we're ahead for in 2024. Well, just ahead, 
Democratic State Representative Syra Draper joins us to look deeper into the impact of Judge Jones's ruling approving the new state political maps. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Politically Georgia podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to AJC.com start. That's AJC.com start. So you always know what's really going on. I'm Greg Bluestein, along with Patricia Murphy and Bill Nygut here in studio. We're also joined now by State Representative Syra Draper, an Atlanta Democrat and voting rights expert who is quite literally right in the middle of the battle over the new political boundaries in Georgia. Syra, thanks so much for joining us and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, Representative Draper, we sat next to each other for part of the judge's hearing a few weeks ago over the maps. And I think we both came away thinking that we could see a ruling exactly like the one he issued that upheld the maps. I don't know. Am I, am I, am I paraphrasing it right? Your, your thoughts? Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we were there um, and we got kind of a preview of what the order was going to be. The judge said multiple times um, that, you know, it took them 22 months to determine that there had been a violation with the first set of maps, the 2021 maps. Um, and, you know, it would be very hard to make a separate determination that there would, was another violation for the 2023 maps. Representative Draper, we have heard from a number of uh, representatives about those who have been drawn into the same districts as some of their fellow Democrats, and you have been drawn into the same district as a fellow Democrat as well. What are your plans? We believe you're planning to run for election, but what are your plans, and have you heard anything else um, about uh, your fellow Democrats' plans for running? Ooh, okay. Well, you dove right in, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I was one of six Democrats who were paired with an incumbent. Um, So, you know, um, lucky me, I guess. Um, So the the district, District 90, um, mainly basically remains the same. So the overwhelming majority of my district does remain the same. Uh, So I intend to run for re-election. I am running actively for re-election. And uh, my district elected me once because they wanted a voting rights expert uh, to be in the Georgia legislature. And I very much believe that they still want that. Um, I do understand that in uh, the two other races, one of the candidates had the, the candidates. One of the candidates has bowed out in mm-hmm. each of the other two races. Um, you know, obviously, this is a very tough situation for everyone, and everyone has to make the right decision for them. Um, you know, for me, it's important to minimize the conflict among Democrats, and I am very proud of how closely we work together and how we don't easily get divided. So, um, I guess we'll have to see what happens next. Well, Syra, thank you for letting us know about your plans for the immediate future. Um, let's go back to the ruling of Judge Jones. Um, what's the likelihood in your mind 
that Democrats will appeal his ruling. Are there grounds for an appeal? Do you see anything in the ruling that would allow for that um, moving forward? 100%. So I think there are absolutely grounds. Now, whether they will appear appeal is a different issue. Um, but specifically about the dismantling of coalition districts, um, I think that is an appealable issue. And in his order, the judge invited the plaintiffs to take that up later. You know, basically his his order said, look, I can't get to this now. We have the 2024 elections around the corner. Uh, but if you want to appeal this outside of the remediation stage of litigation, you should do so. Um, and, you know, coalition districts wasn't something that was originally brought up. Uh, because coalition districts weren't affected uh, in the original lawsuit. The original lawsuit was about violations to Black voters specifically. Um, when we passed the new set of maps in 2023, what we did was remedied the situation as to Black voters, but basically swapped who was who was being, uh, you know, swapped who we were affecting. It went from affecting Black voters to affecting coalition voters. So what I mean by coalition voters are coalitions of Black, Asian, Hispanic voters who co coalesce together to elect the candidate of their choice. So that wasn't an issue in the original litigation, but it has become an issue because the way that we have created these new Black majority districts is by dismantling coalition districts. What's the legal basis for a challenge? We've been calling them minority opportunity districts, but you you uh, uh, use other phraseology, which is fine. What's the legal basis for challenging that? Well, under the Voting Rights Act, black voters are protected. Right. Coalition voters are protected under the Voting Rights Act as well. Um, in the 11th Circuit, certainly that's the case law. Now, there's other case law in other circuits. Um, so... That kind of goes back to whether the plaintiffs will appeal. I don't know whether they will appeal um, because there's the possibility that if they do, bad law will be created and the Voting Rights Act will be further dismantled. Uh, Representative Draper, we're here with Syra Draper, an Atlanta Democrat and voting rights expert and also uh, one of the Democrats drawn into another district with a, a fellow Democrat by these new, uh, with these new maps. Representative Draper, um, we've also seen um, Republicans, and, and including the Secretary of State's office, saying that, hey, these the, the judge's ruling a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, I should say, set the stage for these new maps to be used in 2024. Even if there's an appeal, is it too late in the process? I mean, I know you're not involved in the litigation over this case, but is it too late in the process for any sort of new map to be drawn uh, and, and upheld by by judges? Or is there still chance for a new a new set of boundaries to take effect? Almost certainly it is too late for any other map to take effect before the 2024 election. And, you know, I know that election officials across the state are sighing a big, <clears throat> big sigh of relief about that fact, right? We know which maps we are operating under in 2024. Now, whether we're operating under a different set of maps for the rest of this decade is an open question. Representative, what is the mood inside Demo the Democratic caucus right now? Would you say I've been hearing from members this morning um, really dismayed about uh, the decisions from Doug Stoner and Greg Kennard because they said these were these were two good colleagues who didn't have to go. But, you know, they're making their own decisions based on who um, kind of they're running against and what's going on with their own careers. Um, but when the judge initially overturned these maps, it seemed like it could be an opportunity for Democrats to have districts that more closely aligned with the majority of voters that they tend to get in these statewide elections? 
Well, I think we pride ourselves in the Democratic Party on being a big tent, right? You don't have to look a certain way to be part of the Democratic Party. And we're a very diverse party, and we're very proud of that. Um, I think that's why this coalition district issue is such an important issue, because there are many coalition districts in Georgia. And as more people of diverse backgrounds move to the state, we will see more coalition districts in Georgia. Um, so, you know, the mood... Um, I think we are disappointed in the judge's ruling. We are disappointed by the limitations of the judicial system to handle these kinds of issues. Um, we are disappointed that our colleagues, Representative Doug Stoner and Representative Greg Kennard, are not going to be serving with us after next term. Um, but uh, you know, it is the Republicans who drew the maps, and it is the Republicans who drew uh, us together. Um, so I think you know we all we all band together over that. So um, with the session starting on Monday, we kind of assume that um, when the 2024 election is finally over with, uh, Republicans will maintain their majority in the Senate. Maybe you'll pick up a few seats in the House based on the new maps, I, I think. Is that your sense of things? And the question becomes, with the session before the election uh, takes place, how much can you as Democrats do to uh, slow down or stop some of the more significant legislation that Republicans may want to take up in the upcoming session. Yeah, well, we certainly do everything that we can. So, you know, by the time a measure hits the floor, we are limited in what we can do because Republicans have the votes to pass almost anything they want to pass. Of course, there's exceptions. The school voucher bill last year comes to mind. There was a coalition of Democrats and Republicans that stopped that bill from passing. Um, but we do have opportunities before bills hit the floor to make them better, uh, to make them go away. Um, and even when bills do hit the floor, we have opportunities to message to Georgians across the country. If people, if Republicans are passing extreme bills, we have the opportunity to tell Georgians that that is what they're doing. Um, and so that's something we will remind Georgians of as the 2024 election cycle approaches, if that's in fact what happens during the session. Representative, <clears throat> Representative Draper, I want to stay on that track that, that Bill Nygut just, just opened, because as we get ready for the session starting on Monday, we know it's election year session. So there's always politics involved in legislative sessions, but there'll be even more politics being an election year like this one. Um, you know, there's Democratic and Democratic, you know, uh, intra-party primaries that you might still face. But of course, there's the overall Republican-led uh, efforts to try to energize Republican voters that we'll see. We, we had a taste of that during the special legislative session just a few weeks ago where, you know, ostensibly the reason for the session was to redistrict and redraw maps. But we also saw resolutions on the proposed public safety tra training center in Atlanta. We saw resolutions on Israel and Hamas. Um, we had the, we saw the governor outline plans to speed up an income tax cut. And mm -hmm. Republicans kept on telling me like, hey, this is a taste of what's to come in the new year. So are Democrats ready for what might happen? We're ready. Um, but I'm dismayed, too, because the fact of the matter is we have 40 legislative days each year to do the people's business, right? We only have 40 days to pass good legislation, good policy that improves Georgians' lives. And if we engage in these partisan games and do stuff for electoral reasons instead of the interest of the people, 
that is a disservice that we are doing for Georgians. We talked to you at the end of last session, and you said the kind of the biggest eye opener for you so far was how much of the legislation is um, discussed in committee, voted on in committee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, even gets floor votes. But at the very end, it almost comes down to a handful of Republicans, maybe two or three committee chairs, really hammering out the details of that legislation. And of course, they are Republicans because they control both chambers. Has that changed your mindset going into this new session? You've got one session under your belt, and I think have learned some, some lessons that maybe you were not expecting to learn. Uh, I don't know if it changes much. I mean, to me, it just cements the fact that having government that is controlled by the same party is not effective government, right? So Republicans control the House, the Senate, they have the governor's office. If Democrats just had one chamber, if we just had the House, that would force Republicans to compromise. It would force them to engage with us. And ultimately, I think that's what's better for all Georgia, because Georgia is a purple state, right? We've elected two Democratic senators. Um, you know, it, it behooves Georgians to have government that reflects everyone, not just one party. Um, so with that in mind, I'm sure you haven't had a chance to study every legislative district as it's been redrawn, particularly in the House at this point. But to what extent do you think there are opportunities for Democrats to really make many strides in the 2024 election cycle, given that once again, the maps were drawn by Republicans? As long as that happens, the likelihood of taking control of one house or the other is pretty slim, isn't it? I will say, Bill, I've been pretty, uh, pretty uh, concentrated on my district over the last few weeks. Um, but look, I, I think there are several flippable districts. There have been for the past few years, several districts that are on the margins. And what's really um, hopeful for Democrats is that the trends, the demographics show that more and more Democrats, more diverse people, more young people are moving to Georgia. So as more time goes by, these districts become more and more likely to flip. Uh, Representative Draper, we've been talking a lot over the last few days about our biggest political questions for this new year. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? I mean, what, what is the number one political question you think faces facing Georgia this coming year? Political question. Oh my goodness. Um, I wasn't expecting that question yeah, at all. Threw your <laughs> Look, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the thing that um, I, I know about, which is elections. Um, and my big question for this session. So last session, there was a, you know, policy made by Republicans that they were not going to be dealing with election bills. Um, that's off the table, apparently, for this session. For this session, we will be dealing for with election bills. Um, so I have an open question as to whether we're actually going to be talking about good policy or whether we, we're going to be catering to conspiracy theorists uh, who said the election was stolen. So I don't know if we're going to continue in this vein of 2020 um, or if we're going to actually try and improve election systems for Georgians. If you don't mind, I have a question that I would imagine uh, Democrats um, like you might be thinking about with the 2024 election coming up, you mentioned that you're optimistic about the chances for flipping some districts because younger people are moving into the state. They tend in the past at least to have voted Democratic. But President Biden is losing favor with younger voters, according to most of the polling that we're seeing right now. His, he's, as you well know, far underwater 
in terms of his approval ratings here in the state. To what extent do you think a Biden at the head of the ticket might, in fact, um, uh, suppress votes for Democrats uh, in the 2024, in November of 2024? Well, look, we're in January now. I think it's eons before election season. I mean, we'll continue to evaluate that question, but it's not important what the stage is now. It's important what the stage is in October. Um, I also think, look, you have to compare it to what a Trump at the top of the ticket is going to do, right? That is going to suppress votes as well. So maybe it'll be a matter of who suppresses more ticket voters at the top <laughs> of the ticket. But, um, you know, I, I right now it's really difficult to say and a lot can change. One last question for you, Representative Draper, before we wrap up the segment. Are you sensing the sort of enthusiasm for President Biden? Because you're, you're, I think you're in the most heavily Democratic House district where you were at least in the state, yeah. right? Are you sensing? <laughs> I was. That, I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but are you sensing that enthusiasm for President Biden in your in your in your former and current districts that you'd like to see, or are you still seeing that enthusiasm gap that we're seeing in other parts of Georgia, and certainly has been written about so much and talked about so much nationally? I can tell you what I'm seeing is a dread about another round of President Trump. Um, people were, it, it was such an unhinged administration the first time around. And now without the moderating effect of having to run for re-election, I can't imagine what he would be like in a second term in office. So I think people, you know, we we flippantly use the phrase, this is the most important election of our lifetime. But I really think that if this comes down to Biden and Trump, this will be the most important election of our lifetime. And people are feeling that. Well, Representative Draper, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it and best wishes for the new year. Thank you. Still to come, we'll get a preview of the issues that Republican legislative leaders are planning to take up when the session begins next Monday. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Twice daily, delivered straight to your email, you can receive the AJC's Politically Georgia newsletter. Stay on top of all the important news, scoops, and exclusives for me and the rest of the AJC's politics team. Just go to AJC.com slash newsletters and sign up right now. AJC.com slash newsletters. Now we're joined by Stephen Lawson, a veteran Republican operative who is adding a new role in the new year. He's now one of the top deputies to House Speaker John Burns. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations on the new gig. Hey, Greg. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great to great to be with you all, and, and Happy New Year. Well, let's throw you right into the fire. <laughs> let's talk about what to expect this legislative session. I know that there's still some details to be hashed out, so you can maybe only speak broadly on some of the issues, but a lot of big issues were left on the table last year. What's Speaker Burns' top legislative priority going into uh, the session starting in just seven days? Oh, wow. Well, you know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, he would want to be pigeonholed into just one. Uh, certainly want to uh, have a lot uh, that, that we'll be rolling out in, in the next couple of weeks uh, with, with the speaker. But but look, as you mentioned, certainly I think mental health uh, is going to be up there again. Um, obviously, that that was a, a priority for the speaker last year, uh, passed out of the House. I think you'll continue to see that that conversation uh, into this n- next legislative session. 
obviously I think education uh, will continue to be uh, a, a big issue. Um, you know, uh, Speaker Pro Tem, uh, Jan Jones is is working on that. I know that's a priority for her as well as the speaker. Uh, so I think you'll you'll see some things there uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then obviously, you know, healthcare, jobs, uh, a, a lot of really kitchen table issues. I, I think, you know, heading into session, I think that's what uh, the speaker is going to be focused on is, is how do we improve the lives of every Georgian's? How do we meet them where they are? How do we improve their lives? Because, uh, you know, I, I think Georgia certainly has been a, a model for the country. Uh, and in stark contrast to, to certainly what's going on in Washington, D.C. So I think, uh, you know, really tapping into that and figuring out how do we improve the lives of families here uh, that are struggling with inflation, that are, you know, having to work, you know, multiple jobs, um, things like that, uh, I think uh, will be a focus for him. Stephen, it's Patricia. Thanks so much for joining the show. And um, congratulations again on your new gig. This is a great um, a great role for you to have over there in the State House. And I want to ask about um, what seems like an arcane issue, but it's not certificate of need um, is a an effort that we saw get started in the state Senate last year to overhaul rural regulations for hospitals, or rather hos- regulations for rural hospitals. The question of can you open a second rural hospital too close to another rural hospital? And is that good for the system um, that had a good bit of momentum in the state Senate, but really did not seem to get a welcome in the state house for any number of reasons. How are y'all starting the session? Where's the speaker's head on that issue? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I think it's it's an issue that's important, certainly for your listeners to to understand that right. this is a very complex issue. Uh, and so there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, there's a lot of stakeholders and there's a lot of perspective and policy and expertise uh, that's going to go into any decisions that are made. Right. Uh, I think Chairman Parrish uh, and, and his committee, his uh, study committee on CON uh, modernization uh, did an outstanding job uh, looking at a, a lot of these issues and, and bringing in a lot of different perspectives. You know, I think one of the things that that I admire uh just in my short time working for the speaker is is how much he values the diversity of opinions and having uh, multiple people at the table because uh, I think he believes that that's how you get the best outcomes. And so I think when it comes to to CON or, or a host of issues, I think that will be a central part of uh, you know anything that moves forward. Uh, but look, I, I think Chairman Parrish uh, again did an outstanding job in his report laying out a, a number of things. Uh, in terms of uh, things to look at uh, when it comes to uh, CON reform. Uh, And I think uh, you'll see some of those things uh, over the next couple of weeks that the speaker will, will, will speak to um, that, that kind of elaborate on that. Um, But yeah, I I look, it's certainly going to be a topic of discussion. I think everybody knows that. Uh, I think just finding that right balance uh, is certainly going to be important. We're here with Stephen Lawson, who is a Republican operative and also one of the top aides to House Speaker John Burns. Uh, on that same note, Stephen, is there, an, I mean, we, one of the things that came out of those meetings and really discussions under the Gold Dome was there seemed to be a little bit more openness to a, a compromise 
to expand Medicaid in exchange for changes to the Certificate of Need program. I know it sounds arcane, as Patricia said, but this could impact you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Georgians' lives. Do you see, does the speaker see an avenue this year to, to jumpstart a conversation about expanding Medicaid? I think those conversations are happening, Greg. You know, I think uh, certainly the, the speaker is is having those conversations, and it, it, it's an issue that he, he's looking at. I, 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 he's not ready to make a, any sort of announcement, so I'll, I'll have to save the suspense for you there. <laughs> uh, but um, but look, certainly that was part of uh, Chairman Parrish's uh, report. Uh, you know, I think you saw that. Uh, in in some of those meetings, um, certainly the Arkansas model was discussed, uh, and so I think those those conversations and those discussions are going on. They'll continue to happen over the next couple weeks, um, you know. But but certainly with member feedback, I think that's really important to the speaker is, is getting that feedback. Uh, but look, I, I think he wants to do whatever whatever is uh, is in his reach, right to increase access and lower costs uh, for Georgians' health care. And certainly in rural areas, that, that's really important. Um, that's a focus for him. And so, um, you know, as I said, the, the study report that Chairman Parrish put out uh, lists a number of things. They really did uh, an in-depth dive on that. Um, and that was certainly one of them. And so that will, will, uh, will be uh, in the conversation. Stephen, it's Bill Nygut. Um, assuming that the Speaker and um, members of the House decide that an expansion of Medicaid is in the best interests of the state, to what extent are, are, are certificates of need, which is a big issue, of course, for Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, uh, is, are we going to see a bargaining chip? will give you an elimination of certificates of need in exchange for your support for perhaps an Arkansas-style Medicaid expansion? Yeah, certainly, Bill. You know, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, right, uh, when, it, when it comes to this uh, discussion. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, I think it's too early to tell uh, on that issue if, if they will be tied together or they'll be separate. Um, you know, but certainly, as I mentioned in that report, I, I think it, it laid out a number of different tools and avenues uh, and recommendations, uh, you know, that, that are possible uh, to look at. And, and so I think, uh, you know, as we know, with healthcare, just with with anything, right, it's it's never a one size fits all solution. Uh, there there are, are multiple factors, multiple policies that can make a difference. Um, and certainly in a state uh, like ours, that's so diverse, um, you know, where we have extreme rural populations and very urban centers. I think that's something to to that will be kept in mind. And and so certainly as we move forward, the, those I, I don't know that they will be tied together. Um, uh, you know, I think they will they will be given the appropriate amount of attention, though, for sure. Stephen, just to pull out a little bit, I think that Speaker Burns is a new um, character in this drama for a lot of Georgia political watchers who are not way deep in the weeds. Um, of course, he had been a majority leader, uh, but stepped in very quickly to become the House Speaker after David Ralston passed away. Uh, for our audience who's listening, tell us a little bit about how you think he's going to be running the state House this year. It's really going to be his first real term to set his own tone and his own agenda that's not in the shadow of that really big loss that the House had um, on the spectrum of very conservative to moderately conservative, uh, nice guy, tough to work for. How, how should people understand John Burns? 
Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Patricia. And I, I think, you know, we, we think about, you know, these, again, these players and this drama, as you as so eloquently put. Um, but there's still a lot of people out there that don't know John Burns. Um, what I would tell your listeners is uh, extremely caring, hardworking, passionate public servant. You know, that that's what I've really, uh, you know, I, I've been with him for two weeks now. Uh, really get a sense of. Uh, he's also extremely, he's got a, a, a really big motor. So he's up early, working late, uh, but he's always moving and thinking about what can I do today to make the lives of every Georgian better? And so I think that's really going to carry over. You know, I mentioned before too, one of the things that's that's really struck me about him is that you know, again, he wants to have a, a diversity of opinions. He wants to hear from multiple people. He's very clear. He always wants to deal in facts. And I think that's really important. Uh, right. But whether it's uh, politics or business or, or just life in general, I think we get the best outcomes uh, when we have a, a lot of folks at the table. Uh, and and so he, he's certainly one of those believers in that, of hearing different opinions um, to form the best policy. We're here with so Stephen. I think that's Oh, sorry, Stephen. We're here with Stephen Lawson, a Republican operative who is also a top aide to House Speaker John Burns. And, and Stephen, I wanted to get to something you mentioned earlier, education. Um, education yeah. is going to be a, a, on the platform. We're not sure exactly what that looks like. But my question is, we saw uh, last year a voucher bill that would have provided uh, taxpayer dollars to finance a $6,500 per student voucher to pay for private school tuition and homeschool expenses for students in struggling schools. We saw that fail in the Georgia House. It passed in the Senate, failed in the House by by basically a rebellion by 16 House Republicans. Is this going to be something that the Speaker and other legislative leaders put their capital behind this coming year? Uh, I, I'm not sure about that, Greg. Um, you know, I, I think it will definitely be an issue that, that gets consideration again. Um, you know, I, I think when, when it comes to increasing opportunities for uh, for students, you know, that, that's something that the speaker is always going to be before. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we'll have those conversations. As you mentioned, there were 16 uh, uh, members who, who were opposed to that. And I think, um, you know, I think one thing it, it, it's really important, I think, uh, for for some of these groups that are sort of championing these school choice reforms uh, to really have those conversations with those members and, and to understand kind of their reasoning behind uh, voting no. I, I think that dialogue ahead of next session is going to be really important for them um, to, to move the ball down the field. And so we'll be we'll be certainly be part of those conversations. But I think that's that's going to be an important step there. Stephen, uh, during the special session, uh, the House took up a couple of uh, measures uh, that would really not have force of law, but in, they're an expression of the will of the House. One, of course, was uh, the uh, uh, vote to support fully Israel uh, in its war against Hamas. That said, um, the anti the bill that would define anti-Semitism seems to be likely to once again get stuck over in the Senate, based on what we're hearing so far. And a lot of this has to do with the defin- what that means when you say you're going to define anti-Semitism using the definition of the International Holocaust uh, Commission. Is that bill, are, are, are you in the House willing to work on that bill in such a way that the language could, in fact, be palatable to the Senate? <laughs> 
Well, look, I, I think obviously the speaker has been very clear. He stands with the people of Israel. Uh, and, and Bill, as you mentioned, that, pa- that, that bill did pass out of the House. Uh, I think it's something we're going to keep an eye on. Um, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's not something that the speaker is going to back down in his support of. Um, you know, uh, and, and we're going to keep an eye on uh, on that process, um, certainly uh, to see how it moves forward. But I think obviously having passed out of the House, I think those members are very comfortable with uh, the language that was included there. Uh, I think it's been used in, in multiple other states and jurisdictions. Um, and, and certainly the sponsors feel comfortable with that language. Uh, so we're going to keep an eye on it, but, but we are certainly hopeful that, that that gets across the finish line because it's a really important issue. Well, Stephen Lawson, we have a lot more questions for you, but we don't have much more time. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and best wishes for a happy new year. Hey, all the best to you guys. Thanks. Well, by the way, a reminder that if you guys have a question you'd like to ask us here on Politically Georgia, you can call the Politically Georgia call-in hotline anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the show during our Friday Listener Mailbag segment. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. We can't wait to hear from you. It's going to be a fun-filled <laughs> packed new year and I'm just uh, we're just getting ready for pack it. your bags both of you you're gonna hit the road we really are uh, <laughs> Patricia's going to Iowa very shortly yes. I'll be in New Hampshire I love Iowa in January well <laughs> thanks so much for joining us on Politically Georgia you can now hear Politically Georgia live on 90.1 WABE in Atlanta weekdays at 10 a.m. Or follow Politically Georgia on your favorite podcast app and hear new episodes every afternoon if you like what you hear please leave us a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. Join us again tomorrow for Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,